Welcome back to Damn Good Brands. Michelle Park is the Chief Marketing Officer for Territory Foods, a female-led fresh food platform that offers a new take on the food preparation and distribution industry with chef-prepared fresh food delivered locally. Territory offers personalized menus with a chef's touch and can cater to paleo, vegan, pescatarian, any diet, you name it, they can do it. And they can do it deliciously. As a customer of Territory, I can attest to the fact that their food is fantastic. I kind of enjoy cooking, but can never get around to doing it. So Territory is a real game changer because it gives you chef caliber delicious meals that follow your diet and are delivered right to your door. Michelle has a varied and very fascinating job history that includes major positions across CPG companies like Procter & Gamble, as well as leadership positions at multiple startups and venture capital firms. This was a great conversation about career trajectory, as Michelle's did not follow a typical path by any means, but her experience across startups and major companies really shaped her professional development to be extremely well-rounded and suited for leadership. I really enjoyed this conversation and hope that you do too. Without further ado, here is Territory Foods CMO, Michelle Park. Michelle Park, how are you? I am pretty good. Thank you for having me. Good, good. So I have been a customer of Territory Foods in the past. So how do you, for the uninitiated, how do you describe your company and what you guys do? First of all, I'm always happy to meet someone who has been a Territory Foods customer. So always happy to hear that as a marketer. Um, I describe Territory Foods as a fresh meals platform. It's basically if you want to do some healthy outsourcing for your food. That's language that I think for our target customer makes a lot of sense. I think of it as like, what are parts of your life that you want a high quality um, product, whether that is like you want someone to like your house really well or whether you want someone to help you like think of plan your travel really well for us we have them do that in the food space and so what that really means like the brass tacks of it is if you want to eat well and you're sick of takeout you can't be bothered to do meal prep you don't want frozen dinners then you should try territory foods we basically deliver fresh prepared meals to you every week that are very health oriented Mm -hmm. because they're designed by dietitians but they're actually extremely delicious because our dietitians work with local chefs and we work with in-house culinary artists. So you're never eating, like if you're eating healthy, you're never going to get like plain chicken and broccoli from us just because that's very lean and healthy. You're always going to get something that has a little bit more like that culinary twist and something that's a bit more sophisticated and crafted. So that's really like the core bread and butter of what we do to an end consumer. The way that in which the company does in our business model is really what drew me to the company. And it's it's quite interesting. And we're, um, there's a lot more exciting things to happen in that space, but to the end consumer and to anyone who's listening, who's looking to say like, I want to eat healthy and I don't want to worry about it anymore. I have to do the pitch of tri-territory foods. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. It's such a breath of fresh air because I've done most of the diets that I can name, like I did keto for a while and it's, and I did, I counted my macros for a while. I still do that to a certain degree. Um, but to be able to, it gets so boring because then I would just end up eating brown rice, grilled chicken, and like kale every single day, which I could do for a while, but then it just gets very, very boring. But to be able to have a company that can check all the boxes of whatever obscure diet you're doing, and there's a lot of them these days, but keeps things delicious while supporting local chefs. Uh, yeah, I mean, you guys just check, so, intersect so many awesome territories. Highly recommend listeners check it out for sure. 
Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> no, of course. Um, so you've had a pretty interesting career history between being at m multiple major CPG companies and startups and now CMO of a really exciting company. Um, could you talk about your overall career trajectory and how all of these elements kind of intersected to uh, to get you where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> it's easy to talk about it from like this seat because, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Of course. <laughs> I would say that my through line has been I'm innately like a very curious person. Um, and I very much, I'm very much, I'm always up for something new, like exploring something new and that's different. Like, I think my, my tolerance for that, generally speaking, is quite high. I had a really wise friend who told me, you know, you have to think of every job as a classroom, which I think yeah. that attitude is like good to bring into like every experience. That's like a moment at the classroom. And I think for me, I was very lucky. Um, I came into PNG actually, if I backtrack a little bit, I think, you know, for the very, very early part of my career, I was very burdened by the idea of should. It's like, oh, I went to like an undergrad that was excellent at finance and accounting. Everyone went out and did iBanking. I was like, or like some sort of finance. I was like, right. I should become a finance major. And I worked in finance very briefly, realized I hated it. And I was like, I'm, I want to get away from like abstract concepts. And like, I went the other side, what is more tangible than a consumer package good that you can physically touch and feel. And so that's how I ended up at PNG. And for me, it was a wonderful experience because it is just like such a great learning ground. Um, and it was at PNG where I think I really understood that brand and business are mm -hmm. intricately linked. And that's something where, depending on where you grow up as a marketer, um, sometimes brand is isolated. Sometimes brand is a cost center. Sometimes brand is just like, just to do like an ad campaign. Like sometimes that's right. the role of brand at PNG, like CEOs, general management come through the marketing function. And so very early on in your career, you are taught to like run the PNL. You're taught to think of the overall business. And I love that type of training. And where that led me was I realized I wanted to just be able to have more control over the brands that I was running. And that led me to more and more entrepreneurial brands within the PNG portfolio until finally I had an opportunity to actually go and launch a brand. Um, and so I went from like PNG sites to um, the founder who recruited me. I was like basically employee number one of a brand and it was me, him and his personal assistant in like a borrowed conference room. And so that was like an overnight switch. Right. And so that was a really dramatic change, but that was great because then that really kicked off my startup journey. And mm -hmm. from there, it was something as small as that three people, three person team, which eventually grew. Um, but like something as small as that, which was like family office backed in terms of funding to um, eventually then working with private equity and running a portfolio of brands. I left that. And this is probably like the zigzag that people see is I left um, really the luxury and beauty space where I had been for about 10 years at that point and went into politics. And I worked on a 2020 election, which I think that's the zag people don't expect. But in politics, I learned so much about marketing, about how to like distill distill your messages down, figuring out like what do people really care about? How do you communicate and connect with them in such like a basic human level and fantastic learning experience. And from there, I really took a step back and thought like, I want to be much more mission driven and much more purposeful. I know these are like buzzwords these days, but at the time it like felt really, you know, it still does. I feel really yeah. personally true to me. I was like, how do I want to spend my time work a lot? How do I make this time worthwhile? And that really led me to think around like, what kind of businesses do I want to build? How can I build a business that's a good business, mm -hmm. but also a business that can do good. And for me, I was very lucky at the moment, um, met a venture capital studio that was really looking to, um, find founders in underserved areas of wellness. I had a thesis around like postpartum nutrition. How do we like better support women's health mm -hmm. in this country? Was able to work on that for a while. And I'd always been interested in the food and nutrition space. But if you looked at my resume up at that point, it was beauty, it was CPG. Like every time I wanted to talk to food, a recruiter would be like, no, 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 let's, let's just go do another beauty brand. Like that's the right move. <laughs> that's like the better move. 
And so I was like, if no one's going to like hire me into that position, let me just start something in the food and wellness space. So got to do that. Um, and as I was building it and realizing like, when does venture capital come into a food heavy operation, which the right answer is later in the process. Right. Um, I was very early in the process. Right around that point, as I came to that realization, um, I had an opportunity to meet Territory Foods, which brought me to, to where I am today. So a food tech company that's very, very mission driven. And so for me, that's um, that's been like a very happy, happy um, turn in my story. So I think Michelle Obama had this like great quote in her book around the worst question we ask kids is, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right implies there's a finality and like you become this one thing and you're done. And her, you know, her response to that is that you never stop becoming. And so I just think this is like the next classroom. This is the next chapter and there's still more. And I don't try too hard to predict it, especially if you're in the marketing category and you're in the marketing field. Um, marketing and anything in the commercial side, it is constantly evolving and it moves faster and it changes more quickly than any other sector of, or any other function of a business. And so it's so hard to predict what that next five-year plan looks like because culture will change, society will change, and businesses will change and follow suit. So um, I try to go with the flow sounds a lot less intentional, but I do try to like pursue what is the next interesting thing, knowing that it's going to be very different. Like I just right. go in with yeah, that's going to be different. Well, it's really interesting because I feel like the, the big career lesson is, I think Steve Jobs said a while ago, um, to follow your interests and you never really understand why looking forward, you only understand looking mm -hmm. back. And then, I mean, cause he had this interest in typography and he obviously had interests in, you know, UX and, and, and computers and they all intersected with, you know, the creation of everything that he did with Apple. And he just, he, all these interests seemed obscure, but they all essentially laddered up to who he eventually became. And I feel like, you know, from a career advice perspective, it's really important to be able to follow your interests and curiosity, as you touched on. I feel like curiosity is very important because there's an energy and a drive that goes into things that you're curious about versus things that you're not versus those kind of like, you know, safe career paths. Um, but that fluidity that you talked about, I think, is also something, you know, that, that people should take note of being able to kind of go with the flow of, of evolutions in technology. Whereas I think in the past, people were all about job security and you want to be at one company for 15 years and whatever. But the way things are changing now, being fluid, being able to like adaptability, I feel like is one of the most important elements of a fulfilling career path, it feels like. Yes, absolutely. And I think about even companies, I mean, P&G being one of them where you really came and you built a multi-decade career. I think the reality of that is that even if you were to stay within a company, the ability to be really agile and adapt and you have to constantly challenge yourself and learn. Like, I think that is now part of the course, right? Mm -hmm. Just because quickly society has changed and how quickly technology has changed things. Yeah, yeah. And looking, um, looking on LinkedIn, one of your most interesting former titles was entrepreneur in residence um, at Human Ventures, which is a New York-based venture capital studio. Feels like there's a need for these kind of intrapreneurs, people who can kind of go into an organization and essentially think like an entrepreneur, think like an owner, and just kind of shake things up. Can you describe what that that role was like, or what these roles are like in general, and essentially why businesses could benefit from having these entrepreneurs in residence? 
Yes, absolutely. I have lots, lots of thoughts here. I'll try to keep them short. Um, oh, go for my it. Role specifically, my role specifically, entrepreneurs and residents, um, was this thesis that human mentors, so human mentors is a venture studio. And what that means is that they basically build a community and a support and like essentially a cohort of entrepreneurs at a time. So that could be like one or two. Or in our case, I think it was like around seven, seven people who have different theses that are very early stage that they come in and get support from the venture studio. They get support from each other. Like they really built a community for us to really connect and have like a sense of accountability to work through the very early stages of your idea, like really true through like you have a seed of an idea. How do you actually test and prove that you have a business model? And their thesis is really around the fact that like entrepreneurship can be a very lonely thing mm -hmm. and that um, having the support network can really help you jumpstart that. The other part of their business, which is, I think speaks to a little bit of this entrepreneurship is that they do partner with like larger corporations to say, Hey, like leading fitness brand, you want to, st you want to be able to compete with like the next, you know, Instagram darling, or you want to be able to complete with the next like startup. How do you bring that energy into your organization? And I think it's very hard to do that with the, with the team and the people that you already have, right? People like proactive and like leadership and all these other like qualities from, from employees. But then there's only so much you can do when you go above and beyond to solve a problem if you're inside a bigger enterprise before you're really like breaking the systems, right? Like there's only like so much you can do with an existing organization. And so I think that's when these bigger organizations partner with venture studios to either like bring in some talent that they normally would not be able to get or to like give this talent some room to play without really the the pressure and the structure of the bigger enterprise and the bigger enterprise is interested in that really creative idea and they mm -hmm. just don't want to over influence it too early and i think this is so critical to your question around like why now is that like the bigger players have to evolve right, right? and because there are because like the cost of starting a business in so many categories um that that cost to start a business has really come down and the the moats of some of these bigger players have also like been worn away as a result of that. And so you need that entrepreneurship spirit within your company or like very closely adjacent to your company to, to remain competitive, to really think about business models, because some business models were built on like key retail assumptions that are no longer true, mm -hmm. right? Real estate has changed. All of these different key tenants of our culture have changed. And so if you're an enterprise company that have, you know, built your entire business model on something that is currently changing quickly, that entrepreneur and that entrepreneur spirit can help you keep, you know, keep at pace and help you like innovate faster. Yeah. Versus, you know, seeing it come out externally as a competitor in the form of a competitor. How do you bring some of that energy in-house sooner? Yeah. And it sounds like they, these types of people, or these roles introduce a lot of very productive tension into the organization and they challenge widely held beliefs and it can be uncomfortable at first, but it's, it's just so important for keeping a company sustainably, you know, um, successful. Otherwise the startups are going to take over a lot of these very established industries, you know, a lot of upstarts. And I think there's even going to be a lot more in the coming years for sure. Absolutely. I think the, um, how to, how to, larger companies stay sustainable in their business model, like require some of this, this fresh energy and thinking. Yeah. Uh, so going back to territory, uh, I had heard you talk in a previous interview about how one of the company missions is to help more people live better lives through a healthier relationship with food. And I think it's really important for companies to have missions. And I think it's really motivating for employees. And also it's something that really influences buying behavior if there's a real mission behind the company. It's more than just a food company. It is actually trying to help people 
have better, healthier lives through food. Can you talk about how these missions, or this mission in particular, ladders back up to marketing initiatives and how you kind of make sure that this mission is front and center in all of the marketing activations and activities that you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. When we um, when I, I joined the company around 18 months ago, and one of the things we did was we came in, we knew we had to do a rebrand of the business. And we really delved into, you know, did a lot of a lot of research, a lot of insights work. And we realized that, you know, like at the very short, even when you asked me like, what is territory food? Like we're a way for you to get healthy meals. Right. But we realized that as a lot of people talk about the word healthy, that, that word comes up a lot to describe what territory does. But then when you talk, when you deep dive into like, what are your sentiments around healthy, at least in like our American culture, healthy for most people has like a lot of negative sentiments associated with it. Mm. It's a like guilt as in like, I'm not being healthy enough, or I haven't like made the healthy decision. It's this like forever unattainable goal. It has this element of like um, judgment associated with it when it comes to healthy food. It's always something that's too expensive, too hard to keep up with. There's a lot of negativity. And so we thought like we are about healthy food in like the most, you know, brass tacks way. But what we're really trying to do is for you to want to participate and engage with that food in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. And for territory, which our brand was founded from like a very elite fitness moment of like eating paleo and eating keto and like performance training. And back then, and in a lot of these communities, you don't necessarily have this idea of like a long-term relationship. You're like very much like short-term goal oriented, Mm -hmm. hit a certain performance goal and food at that point, it's transactional to you. It is something that you don't really prioritize and you're not really thinking about it. And as you know, mindful of a way as we think that you ought to be, because we really believe that healthy food leads to like better lives Mm -hmm. and our core customers today, they invest they invest in a higher quality of food because to them, it is a higher quality of life that they get in return. And so that's why we think about like, what does a healthier relationship look like versus just healthier food? And so how that comes to life in some things, for example, like we never like fear monger. We never talk about like, these are the things that are not in it and why these are things, these things are bad for you. Like there's never a sense of guilt. There's never a sense of like pressure that comes from our materials. We try to very much emphasize like you know, we say like everybody is a beach body. Like we try to tell you the fact, we try to overemphasize the fact that anybody can participate in healthy eating because that's another thing we found was a lot of people like, I don't feel like I look like I eat healthy. So I don't really want to tell people that. So we really want to counter that and really bring it in and make it feel much more inclusive. And that it, ultimately it is about like having a healthier relationship with your food than just like eating healthy food. And that's why we feel like a lot of our meals are very indulgent in some ways. Like we have brownies on our menu, mm-hmm. right? They have to be paleo brownies and the recipe and the ingredient list is very clean, but we have brownies are excellent brownies. And we <laughs> don't want people to ever feel guilty about eating food. And so that's what we mean by a healthy relationship that comes across, I think, in how we think about our assortment, how we think about our, um, you know, like our comms, like how we think about the words that we use to describe our food. And it comes across in how we even like the people that we show in our photog- in our in our campaigns that we're not looking for like six packs in every photo. You know, right. we want to show people who like are approachable and are just eating healthy because they're trying to live better lives. Yeah. And I know you joined the company about 18 months ago, but what would I feel like the pandemic was still not at its height, but still for very, sure. very active. What was that time period like as a food delivery service? So, I mean, I have to give like a lot of kudos to our CEO, um, Ellis McHugh, who really led the company through the peak of the pandemic. The business in March of 2020 was around 20% direct to consumer and 80% of it actually delivered to physical locations, like, oh, like wow. gym, coffee shops. Okay. And so imagine all of that shutting down overnight. Um, and so obviously it, 
financially, it was very good for our business. Like, I'm not going to lie about that to direct to consumer food. Um, and for healthy eating, you know, the idea of health became so much more in the national attention and, and conversation. So from a purely financial standpoint, it was quite beneficial to the business. Um, and we've seen that a lot of those behaviors have stuck around. And so like, we're still able to ride, you know, we're able to really capitalize on the fact that people have thought about healthy eating so much more as a mm -hmm. result. But I think from a business standpoint, it was hard. We were lucky in that this company has been remote since day one. It's like 11 years old and it's been remote for 11 years. And so the culture of being remote wasn't as hard of a shift, right? Because we'd invested in how do you build that muscle. But in terms of like, I mean, even since March of 2020, and even since I joined December, like so many things have happened in our world where you have to show up for people, not as just, just as employees, but how do you show up for each other just as right. humans at like fundamental connective level um, remotely. And then we, we don't actually make any of our own food. We are a platform for this reason. We work with local chefs, right? And so during like the peak of COVID, a lot of our team spent a lot of time working with our chef and catering partners to help them figure out how to keep their business afloat. Like we had restaurants that reached out to us who were like, sorry, I'm just going to have to shut down. And then our head of culinary went, like went, sat down with them safely, of course, and literally helped them redo their business plan and kept them afloat throughout the pandemic because of their work that they were able to do through territory. And that business, like, I mean, I won't mention the restaurant, but it's like an iconic restaurant in LA. Right. And so like just the investment that we made into relationships um, during COVID, I think it's what's like still paying dividends today, but it really speaks to the culture of the company that I would say throughout the pandemic, like the thing that was glaringly obvious to us is that we have to invest in the relationships, our relationship with suppliers, relationship with employees, um, and just over invest in that moment because everyone is dealing with such a personal thing. And, you know, I think that approach has continued because there's still so many issues that are happening in our world today where people want that connection, people want that recognition, people want a sense of community through work. That's amazing that you got, I mean, clearly chefs are like one of your main, essentially shareholders, you know, the company, stakeholders rather. Stakeholders, yeah. yeah. Um, and to get so involved on a community level to actually serve that community, because it was really hard on the restaurant industry. You know, so hard. Hit, so probably hard. harder than most. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's very much real deal kind of, you know, walk in the walk, which is, uh, which is extraordinary. That's really, really cool. So as marketers nowadays, there are so many different trends that are happening now with Web3 and NFTs and the metaverse. TikTok is getting bigger and bigger every day. Um, is there anything that is uh, either confounding you guys the most these days or that you think is really promising in terms of the next phase of marketing? I'm personally like very interested in all of these categories. I think as a marketer or anyone interested in marketing, because like, I think our number one job is to understand what drives people, like what drives consumers, what are consumers interested in? So I think it's important to just like be curious about these things. Um, but I think what has not changed and what has like actually it's been more, even more obvious that we have a finite amount of time. We have finite amount of attention. If anything, our attention spans have like even gotten shorter, but we now have like a proliferation of choice. Yeah. Right. And I think about like my career, even like 10 years ago, when if you put out a really funny ad, there are chances that people will like go and just watch your funny ad. But like the likelihood of that happening versus someone just like scrolling a personalized algorithm on TikTok, it's so much lower these days because mm -hmm. people are so much more interested in like these other mediums of engaging. So for me, I, I'm very interested in Web3. I think Web3 is obviously like at the time of this 
conversation. Like it's definitely going through a sort of a dip, but I think about it kind of like the, the bubble, the internet bubble at the dot-com bubble, right. a lot of businesses went under, but the internet endured and I think came out stronger. So I think there's a lot of fundamental infrastructure within web three that will endure and come out on the other side. I think as a marketer, we like, I'm very curious to see what comes out on the other side. And I spent a lot of time thinking around like, how do we position ourselves to be in a place of readiness? Cause I do think we'll be very transformative, but like, what does that really look like? I think it's still like, it's still in that, it's still in the blender a little yeah. bit. It's in like that middle moment a little bit. Um, and I think a lot of the downturn that's happening is because everyone kind of like raced to it. And we, we sort of like forced the idea of utility into it. And I, I just don't think that we, we brought a lot of like web two or like even web, web, web one thinking into web three mm. without really like setting up the infrastructure of Web3. So I think there's a lot more coming. Um, I, I'm like really trying to study it and think about what does this really mean to like the end consumer and how does it impact their lives? Because I think that's where the marketers can bring the most value. Um, but I think it's a little bit hard to see. I think that's the one I spend a lot of time thinking about and don't have great conclusions yet, but like pay close attention to. Yeah, I feel like it hasn't quite hit its heyday yet. Yeah. I feel like the NFT, I mean, they're still going to be more important. I think the actual useful NFTs that you can not just, you know, pretty looking board apes or not so pretty looking board apes, but the ones that have utility where it's like a concert ticket or, you know, entry to something for the rest of your life or whatever the case may be. I think that's going to get interesting, but a hundred percent. Yeah. Well, last few questions. Um, are there any, obviously um, this during this time period, there are predictions for a upcoming recession. So as a leader, are there any skills that you think younger aspiring leaders in the marketing space should develop from the perspective of, I guess to the perspective of like the kind of fluidity that we were discussing earlier, mm -hmm. either along that perspective or any just kind of like fundamental skills that you're always seeking in the people that you are bringing aboard your companies? Yeah. I mean, I think about marketers today and I have this conversation with friends who are, you know, in the field a lot. And it's the fact that like a marketer, a CMO's role, um, is constantly evolving. A lot of it edges into product today, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of it edges into design, a lot of it edges into um, data and growth marketing. So like the sort of the arsenal of what you have to know as a as a leader in marketing constantly expands because new tools keep coming up essentially. And I think about in this moment when the market is in a downturn, I think data will show that it's a great time for entrepreneurship and for like smaller startups. I actually really encourage people to get as close as possible to their end consumer. And I don't mean in research capacity, but as in like, if you're in the business of selling water bottles, like follow that consumer journey through, like follow a person who's bought a water bottle from you. And so you know what all their pain points and frictions are, whether it's like them dealing with customer service and shipping mm -hmm. to them, like having concerns on your website to them, like seeing an ad of yours, like really get as close as you can to the consumer. Yes, to understand the consumer insights, but then also for you to actually get exposure to the different skill sets that are required to help serve this customer, mm, right? Yeah. And I say that as in like, I think the things that have been most beneficial to me in my career have been around being resource constrained from a from like a team standpoint. And so I had to go and like learn this new skill and I had to go and like develop this new, put a new tool in my toolbox, right? And I think what that really served me well is that then it's, it, it opens a lot more doors down the road as you're like, yes, I can absolutely lead growth even though I grew up at PNG. Like that's, you know, yes, like I can go and like talk to product because I've had a lot of product experience. And a lot of that has been because I've been in more like resource constrained startup environments. And so I think for, for marketers who are still thinking through like, 
because I think what a marketing leader looks like in the future will continue to evolve. So like be prepared for that. So like try to broaden that skill set of what is core marketing. I think the best way to broaden it is like really follow a consumer journey all the way through and see where are the places where we can add value, where are the ways you can serve them and provide insight and gain insight, because those are skill sets that you can learn and help you become a more robust marketing leader. Awesome. Awesome. Great advice. I think that is a perfect point to end on. Michelle, thank you so much. This has been great. Thank you so much for having me. Any parting advice or wisdom for those aspiring marketing leaders out there? Oh, man. I would say lean into your humanity and be curious All because right. you too are a consumer. <laughs> Very wise words. Thank you again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with your friends and colleagues on LinkedIn? Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Lippy Taylor. That's L-I-P-P-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R. And on Twitter at the same handle. Thanks again for listening to Damn Good Brands.